thank you, Victoria, for hopping on the Model Burger podcast. I'm so honored to have you here. I was just reading your your website, your bio, blown me away entirely. And there are many highlights I want to get through. Um, things like the how you started coaching, how you went from uh, product to tech to some of the most amazing shows people have heard of nowadays, and how some of the key inflection points shaped your career. So we chatted a bit before this, and I just want to uh, go on to one moment. Since I've heard about people talking about that program, you also mentioned uh, the impact of it on, on your philosophy, but we'd also just like let you tell us, how is the Hoffman process like? Oh man, yeah, and thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor and so exciting to be able to connect. Um, the Hoffman Institute and, and that entire process, you know, at the time when I first went to the website, I was really kind of uh, skeptical about the process and what it could do for me because it focused, you know, the, on the website, it talked a lot about family and I feel like I have a really strong relationship with my parents. And so I, you know, didn't think that the program was necessarily for me. Mm. But I had two friends who I both really respected. One who was like, you know, very much a creative, successful Hollywood executive type. And another friend who was like, kind of, you know, really hardcore, like tech, um, you know, ops, like startup dude. And both of them who are super different, both said that that was the best experience they had in their lives. Wow. And so, you know, when you have two trusted people who have very different backgrounds, um, say that to you, you know, you have to be curious, right? And in the moment I was going through kind of a really challenging place where I was trying to be an entrepreneur and I was really struggling. And, you know, all of my deep fears from childhood, from, you know, being an immigrant, all those things were popping up and I didn't have the tools to manage it. And so in my desperation, I was like, okay, fine. Like, let me just try this program. What could be the worst of it? Um, And basically you're in the woods for, you know, seven days in Napa. And the whole process takes you through what they call, you know, the cycle of transformation, which is like awareness, compassion, forgiveness, and new behavior. And so it really addresses any any patterns that you have in your life that aren't really working for you. Mm. And so... At the time, I thought it was just about, you know, your relationship with your parents. It was going to be too much like therapy. Um, But really at the core, it's saying like, okay, hey, let's do some reflection. What about the certain patterns that you have in your life in the way you perceive things, interpret things and react? How do those not work? And how can we, you know, pivot into a new way of living, thinking and behaving? And so you basically spend, I'm not going to go into details because there's so much juicy good stuff in the program that's kind of you know secret if you will um, because people want to you know go through and experience it themselves but at its core that's kind of what you take away and they have one-on-one coaching they have small group coaching and they have large group coaching and so you kind of go through each of those different dynamics throughout the week you do a lot of meditation journaling um, bioenergetics work and it's you know, you're completely disconnected from the internet, from your outside world. So it really allows you to form those new neural pathways around how you think about yourself and how you behave moving forward. Um, and so, you know, I can't, um, you know, state enough how much that impacted me, just taking one week to really dedicate it to myself and to, you know, that personal development. And yeah. I'd never done that before in my life to that extent. It was it was a serious commitment um, and it really paid off. How has 
that week change you? Like going into that week, you, you mentioned some of the backdrop on some entrepreneurship struggle, right? How has that seven days provided any new ways of thinking, doing, living your life? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I really realized that I was trapped in a vicious cycle a lot of times in the past with my work and my work, and this is going to be probably familiar for a lot of people, but my work was deeply tied to my identity and my self-worth. And therefore, if things weren't going well at work, or if I felt like I failed at something, I would take that really personally. And I didn't cultivate self-compassion because of that, that perpetuated this vicious cycle of anxiety, not feeling good enough, then like worse performance, not being in the right headspace. Right. And so I would get trapped in that vicious cycle. And similarly, I could also have an upward cycle when I, if I did have this success, it would really kind of, you know, put me on a high, but it wasn't grounded, right? It wasn't grounded in self-compassion and in knowing that my worth wasn't tied to my work. Mm-hmm. So it was like a super volatile, like meme stock, right? Like that right. was my like, high reward, high risk. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't until I came out of Hoffman that I was able to fully detach myself from outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Of like things that I did and achieved or didn't achieve. And that freedom actually allowed me to be far more effective, far more confident than I expected, right? I didn't realize that would really be the, you know, the positive outcome of, of doing the, the work. I was just like really desperate to have something make me feel better when I was feeling really anxious. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been able to maintain that with, you know, continuing the practices, doing my meditations and just really staying connected to that sense of self-awareness and understanding about, you know, whenever I'm feeling anxious or upset, where that's really coming from and how I can be there for myself. It is really interesting that you were you were not working for someone else. You're working for yourself, mm-hmm. right? And exactly. even that, you, you mentioned that it wasn't free. Can you tell us more about how that's like? Yeah, you know, I think, and, you know, I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? Like when I went to business school, even though I worked at really large, like, fame companies, the end goal was, like, I want to build something. Um, and I studied entrepreneurship and innovation and, you know, mentored startups, all of that. Um, And so when I decided to try to take the leap, I was professionally equipped with like knowledge, but I was not emotionally equipped to Mm. handle the ups and downs and the challenges of starting something from zero. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, when you are also like fraught with, you know, deep seated fears from childhood of like survivor, you know, trying to be a survivor and, you know, financial stresses, like suddenly not having an income, like suddenly not having that structure, not having any sort of feedback on my contributions and capability, right? That was so difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I needed the emotional tools to like deal with all of those ups and downs of entrepreneurship and like kind of being more of this, this little, you know, chamber away from the usual feedback that you get from other people. Yeah. And that's probably what you talk about detachment, right? Where you no longer need external validation to tell you whether something is working or not. You can really focus on what is important and and what is important to you after you did the retreat. Yeah. You know, and I, because that transformation like healed me in so many ways, all I wanted to do was like, take that and give it to other people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started writing more and started coaching and creating programs just because I was like, oh my God, this is such valuable information. Like how did I know this before and how can I help other people? 
And I was doing a lot of reflection too on like, you know, what is kind of my set of superpowers, right? And how could I apply that in the most effective way and really mm -hmm. be honest with myself and be driven by what's authentic to me versus what was trendy at the moment or like what startups were getting funded or what had the biggest valuations, right? Yeah. And when that alignment clicked into place, it became so much easier for me to create without feeling, you know, just inauthentic or not being sure of my direction because I knew like what I was doing was aligned with what I cared about and what was important to me. And what are some of those superpowers? Yeah. So, you know, as I was even just in the Hoffman program itself, like people would just, people in my group would tell me like, oh my gosh, like you're, you know, you're so able to create space. You're so able to be there for others. You're so great at listening. Right. Yeah. And in some ways, those characteristics sometimes backfired on me in corporate America when being hyper aggressive and really loud in an environment was what was, you know, what was seen as leadership, right? Yeah. And I'm much more of a listen and create space leader. Um, and so, you know, just hearing that from my group and, you know, in the past from, you know, whatever group I was in, I was always kind of like the glue. And as you know, in like product marketing, product management, you kind of bring people together. That's when I realized like, you know, really being, you know, going into coaching, creating space in that way was something that I was like, particularly good at more so than even some of my other more professional skill sets, right? Like product management, like, yes, I was competent and I knew all the frameworks and I was able to like get a team going and write up a great spec or whatever. But um, the superpower, the genius was having that emotional capacity to sit with others and be with them and help them through whatever challenges they were dealing with. And that's the difference between good and great, right? I think the good one is where you practice, you learn, you can do PM yes. really well. The greatest, just you're gifted with this ability to listen, to sit with people, to create space. And that also touches upon like two points, actually. One is a lot of people will ask me when I was interviewing folks for Model Breaker, what does the corporate America uh, success model look like? Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of them are familiar with very loud, assertive, sometimes aggressive uh, figures, but what you just said is a different kind of leader, a leader that listens more, that so that celebrates people's successes, that creates space for them to, to thrive. And that's actually what I, I, I wish we, the world has more of you yeah. of, of that. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. And the other part I want to draw a connection to is you talk about the glue, being a glue as a PM. I know how that feels as a product marketing, um, certainly, um, and launching so many amazing pro programs as you have what does and you also said like being a care caretaker growing mm -hmm. up right mm -hmm. what's the connection like like how is it growing up what roles did you do in the family yeah. so you know my family immigrated from Taiwan um so we're also from Taipei I was actually born in Taipei oh my gosh wow yeah, <laughs> well, like, I no, yeah. wow my grandpa used to go to Ding Tai Fung and you know it, and basically my my parents came to America to try to give me you know more opportunities right like the classic immigrant story and when we came here we had like nothing like my dad was a dealer at a casino my mom was working as like a bank teller just really trying to get by and, um, you know, for immigrant children growing up in the U.S., when your parents aren't great at speaking English, when they don't understand the culture, as a child, you actually pick up on it a lot faster, yeah. right? And so in many ways, you end up 
wanting to protect them and, and to save them and, and take care of them to make sure that they understand what's happening or like why people are being mean, right? Like, and so in some ways as a child, you grow up a lot faster because of that. Um, and so, you know, that, and also the fact that I was an only child and my grandparents then came over to America to help take care of me. So I was an only child with four adults, right? And wow. so I was often playing like peacemaker. I was often, you know, just trying to cheer everyone up. And so that kind of became a part of my personality, right? And yeah. the, the dangerous side of that is being a people pleaser, right? right? But the benefit of that is really being able to bring people together, to make difficult personalities or different personalities be able to gel. Um, and so that in a way was, you know, a skill that then I could bring into my professional setting. That's very similar to, I mean, to my story and also to yeah. the school of like codependency, right? Where we learn to be very susceptible to how people think, how they feel. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, immigrant child are often parentified because we have to be the one to ask for what our parents maybe couldn't do it so eloquently as we could. So mm -hmm. yeah, well, a very familiar story. Yes. And, yeah, and how, what did you want to do when you were a child? You know, when I was little, because, you know, my parents were always very like frugal and wanted to save pennies. I never had any toys really. Like I would just have like a toy here or there that like people would bring me, but they were pretty strict on like not spending money on toys. And so I would just spend hours like drawing, Wow. <laughs> and writing and so I would kind of go in my own head and just like create all these stories and and just be at my computer writing stories and little you know short stories and and you know drawing characters and all of that and so I really wanted to be like an author and um, create books um, when I was younger and you know eventually I wanted when I went through you know undergrad and everything I was like okay wait like that seems like that might be difficult to, to immediately <laughs> financially yeah. Ah, <laughs> <love my> <laughs> yeah again like that immigrant sensibility right that practicalness came through and it was like yeah. okay well what other what other you know jobs require strong communication skills right and that's kind of how I got into like marketing and product got it but it's still still my dream to write a book at some point yeah, and I think the creator spirit is still very much alive, right? In your writing, when you create a program, when you coach, and when you run your own business. And I'm curious how, so, so I think now it's almost like you're going a full circle, you're coming back to what you love. But when you were adopting that practical side of you, doing product, doing marketing, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned in the creative industry in the tech industry yeah you know at the and it's so funny because this again ties back to coaching but so much of what is appearing to be conflict or is you know causing frustration between people is really all about their emotions and how they're feeling about something yeah right? and so bringing people together like i i was in a really challenging role at netflix where basically i had to help the creative entertainment executives also work with the very data-driven engineers and algorithm scientists, right? And so, you know, being able to help both sides see each other's point of view and understand and feel heard, right? And feel supported. And that was a huge part of the role. And I think that's just, you know, something that you can't get away from. At the end of the day, even if people try to be rational, there's still a lot of emotions involved. And if you're yeah. able to see those for what they are you're better able to address them and manage them and another uh question i since you're at the very the center the glue that holds the team together people 
probably come to you for a lot of questions, right? What type of patterns do you see and what interests you the most? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times people would be afraid to, you know, question or to, you know, vocalize some of their uncertainties about things in a larger forum, right? And so being someone that people feel comfortable going to with questions is also like a really important part, I think, of leadership in general is if you're able to create that trust and that safe space, then people will come to you and say like, hey, I'm actually, I don't agree with this strategy decision or like, I didn't understand anything they said about the algorithm in this meeting. Can you help explain that to me, right? And, mm. you know, those um, kinds of questions around like, you know, disagreement with the strategy or uncertainty around the strategy or lack of understanding about a direction um, and really tricky, tricky business decisions of like, you have to make a difficult trade-off. Yeah. Like those are the three types of questions I think I got the most. And, you know, as a leader, that's, you know, where you have to really step in and, and, you know, try to provide the best guidance and the best point of view possible. Got it. And assuming that probably gave you some early signals that what you're doing now, uh, executive coaching is, is a path, right? Can you tell us more about how you go from that point A to B? Yeah, it, it's so funny because, you know, in so many ways, I feel like when you are leading a team in an organization, you are inherently coaching. Like you can't get away from that really if you're doing your job right. Yeah. And so the transition feels so natural. It's more just like, I think of it as like B2B versus B2C, right? Like mm-hmm. in organization, I was kind of doing it for the organization and for the team. And now I'm kind of just doing it for anyone who is a good fit. Um, and of course, um, now I lack the detailed context of a particular business problem. But what I found in coaching is that that actually isn't necessary for half the time when you're dealing with someone who is like super smart, high performer, like they yeah. just need to like have a sounding board, have someone talk through like the law, logic, the rationale, the strategy. And you don't need to know like all the exact specific little details of like the new product launch, right? When you're doing a conversation at that high level. Um, and you can still be really effective. And so that's kind mm-hmm. of where I found I really enjoy spending my time with, you know, working with people is like at that level and and really, you know, making sure that they're keeping the big vision in sight and also implementing the practical daily habits and tactics to like have that vision come to life. Yeah. And I think that's actually how I got into coaching as well. Like I saw a gap in both worlds. One is the very data-driven business world. The other one is very like touchy feely if you could call it yeah. like, type of world, right? And they don't really talk that often. And I'm like, why don't I become a bridge so I can, I mean, since I'm part of both of them very deeply <laughs> and how can I yeah. bring them together and, and talk? And I think you also mentioned that when you first got into the health and uh, practice, there was some skepticism in you, right? And when you mm-hmm. were coaching, do you have you ever come across any of that in your business world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think until you've really experienced it, it's really hard to fully let go of the intellectualizing of everything and trust that doing, you know, this other, this kind of work that's much more mindset and emotional is actually going to get you to what you actually want, right? Because we're so used to like these linear paths and these like very intellectual, rational ways of dealing with things. And we don't often don't want to acknowledge how much our own emotions can hold us back or our mindset, you know, is actually creating certain behaviors, right? And so, yeah, I mean, there's certainly plenty of people who I've spoken with who 
you know, are looking for kind of that quick fix or that kind of more intellectual kind of, you know, MBA type, yeah. uh, you know, strategy. And, you know, I'll just tell them like, you know, that's, yes, we can do that, but that's not really where you're going to see the transformation. Um, right. and so I usually only work with people who are really willing to examine how they are holding themselves back and certain, you know, attitudes or behaviors that they are actually open to changing. A lot of people aren't actually open to changing. Yeah. Willing to address the, the challenges and the hard stuff. And, you know, that'll get you, that'll get you far along, but not all the way to that deep sense of like fulfillment and self-compassion and satisfaction. I think that's also what have, what I have been struggling in the early phase. Because mm-hmm. I was debating whether I should help people take that leap of faith, or should I just serve mm-hmm. the people who are willing and willing, willing enough to see what 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 uh blockers were stopping them already, right? So, but I think once you know what you're good at and focusing on that, like there's so many people in the world that you can help, so don't yeah. have to like like you know force anyone to do anything. And exactly. yeah, tell us more about an example maybe of how you combine the best of both worlds of the science and the art together. Yes, I actually help a lot of people with this. Um, currently coaching someone who has a whole windfall of these really great job offers, right? And going through many interview processes. And, you know, with an interview, that and, and a career change or just, you know, thinking about what's next for me, like that is often the biggest challenge that people deal with, right? Because it feels like so much is on the line, right? Like yeah. getting a job or changing my career, like, oh my God, that's like occupying my entire, <laughs> you know, it's all I'm thinking about. And so, um, you know, in those instances, that's a perfect example of like, you kind of have to pair the practical and the strategy with the emotional and the mindset because, you know, so many emotions come up during that process that can really trip you up in the interview if you let them, you know, catch you at a moment where you aren't able to, you know, express your best ideas or you get caught up in your own fears, right? Um, and that's, I feel like that's an, also a time when people are more open and, and willing to acknowledge, like, holy crap, I felt, I totally froze up at this time, right? Like, I got yeah. so scared because I felt like my interviewer was giving me, like, the stink eye, right? And so they're more open to just acknowledging that. Um, And so that's an example of when, you know, I'll walk them through like, okay, where is this fear coming from? What are some different thoughts you can choose when you feel that fear? And also tactically speaking, like if you're presenting your idea, what's the best structure and way to communicate that idea? Hmm. And we'll go through kind of both of those two things and then bring them together. And that's when you have like the best kind of representation of yourself in that moment, right? Yeah. And I think I saw that you gave them a script, you give them the content to actually apply to their life right so while you're helping them unblock their mindset uh the the mental models you also gave them the tools to implement and take action in their life absolutely I think it's I think that's what's beautiful about coaching um is that there's so many you know it's very like action and outcome oriented too right it's like how do we get you to you know be feeling this way doing this thing and so you know, there is exploration and discovery but there's also the, the hard concrete steps of like this is how you can succeed. And what type of people do you love to work with the most? We talk about who you don't like to work with, but like who do you love to work with? You know, I think it's just people who are super open-minded, really self-aware, and really kind of obsessed with self-growth, right? Like, you know, the clients I have, they are constantly thinking about ways they can improve, whether it's like as a manager or even, you know, with their own finances, with their own health, like they're very growth- 
oriented. And so, you know, it's fun being a coach when you have someone who's constantly looking to expand in new ways, right? And it's, you know, sometimes those people can be a little, uh, lack the self-compassion part. And so bringing the self-compassion into that process of expansion is I think the most beautiful part of being able to achieve your dreams. When you're able to do it with self-compassion, with joy and by taking care of yourself. And a large extent is also what you personally been through, right? Like finding that self-compassion for your younger self. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a very common theme across high achievers where it's always go, go, go. And Mm -hmm. while they're balancing whether they should like pause and reflect or they can go, go, go and keep going more, right? So how do you make them stop and consider a different path? Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is really being honest with what is driving that go, go, go. Usually it's a fear, right? Fear of not being good enough or fear of not being able to achieve a certain outcome. But when you get to what it requires to have the outcome they're looking for, usually the behaviors and that overwork is not going to get them there, right? They're just so consumed that they're not able to think big picture. They're not well-rested enough to show up and be present during meetings, right? It's all these kind of byproducts of not taking care of yourself that actually hinder performance. And so when I'm working with people who are open to seeing that, it's like pretty obvious, right? I'll just ask something basic, like how is your sleep been, right? And then after some reflection, it's usually like, oh, it's been terrible. And then we like dig into, you know, the foundations of what can help you think clearly and perform well, right? And so it's kind of just, yeah, there, there is, you know, that, that is one of the indicators of like not taking care of yourself. And the other is really hearing when that kind of bully voice in your head comes out, right? For the longest time my entire life, I treated myself like I was like, in the army and I was this drill sergeant, like just berating myself, like, oh, like you suck, get up. Like you have to so much work, you're so lazy. Like all these really mean, like terrible, <laughs> like voices, right? Yeah. And I try to help my clients hear those voices in their own head when it comes up and separate themselves from that voice. Like that voice is not me. We usually name that person, right? Whoever this voice in my head, like this is the person who's bullying me and I, say, okay, I hear where you're coming from. You're afraid. I understand that. But right now, like, that's not the appropriate way to speak to me, right? That's not the appropriate voice I need in my head. Right now, I need something that's encouraging and positive and optimistic. And and being mean to myself is only going to make me feel worse. And so that's kind of, you know, taking that positive route towards the goal versus that, like, you know, self, um, you know, self-harassing route, right? Where you're constantly (laughs) bullying yourself. It's like, it just creates this unnecessary stress. Like as if the world wasn't mean enough and tough enough, right? Why would you be mean to yourself? Yeah. And it's almost like you help them acknowledge the root cause that's generating the voice. And you suggest a different one that perhaps is more loving, more compassionate and something their best friends will tell them. And replacing that right like giving them a different reprogramming the way their minds work their their voice work so they can go so so far than than where that like that very mean critical voice will drive them to exactly yeah I call that like the beta cycle like your beliefs emotions thoughts and actions Hmm. and really you know what is that underlying root cause belief like I'm not good enough okay well that triggers a feeling of fear and the thoughts that come from that are probably really negative right and so how can we 
shift the foundation of that belief where, hey, I am fine just as I am, right? I am worthy. I am worthy of being loved. I'm worthy of being happy, right? And then from there, how can we achieve your goals? And all of the subsequent steps, then your emotions, your thoughts, actions all become much more positive. Yeah. And I think you, you put it so beautifully. You said you can achieve whatever you want by loving yourself and treating yourself with kindness and compassion, right? Yeah. That's literally the, the, how should I put like the, the, the model to live by? <laughs> they put it under the Twitter bio or something, right? That's, yeah. yeah. Wow. I, and that was the hardest lesson for myself to learn because I conflated the idea of working hard with being mean to myself. Because when I was mm-hmm. mean to myself, yeah, I did work hard, but you don't need to be mean to yourself in order to work hard. Right. right. And that's like a logical fallacy <laughs> that we have in our heads. And my goal as a coach is to help people break that fallacy in their brain and help them retrain them their brains to really operate in a more efficient, positive, uh, fulfilling way. Yeah, and I think I saw that somewhere you said the neuroplasticity is what you work with, right? You help them find out where those beliefs were seated and you help yes. them create a different path so they don't have to keep going on the, like, the, the path that was a little bit painful, um, somewhat working, yes. but not as fulfilling as what they could be working on. Exactly. It's like for so it's imagine if you like lived in the city, right? And your entire life, you only went down this one path and it was stinky and there was all these like obstacles and it was just like a really crappy path and this whole time you could have been taking the scenic route that had like a beautiful the ocean and you could get to the same place and until you realize that that scenic path exists you're going to keep taking like this really stinky old path just because you're used to that that's your default right and so you know my goal is to help people discover that scenic path that they can take I also saw that you have a travel blog um, on, yes. on your website. And uh, by the way, I love the Evergreen Lodge uh, oh, uh, on your family. Oh, yeah. Have you been? Haven't, but you you recommended I look it up and I book cabin. So somewhere oh, in August. Amazing. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Is travel a big part of your life? It, you know, it really is. And part of it was I grew up you know, without any vacations and without traveling really at all, because again, my parents like immigrant mentality, like really practical. I was just like school, school, school all the time. Right. Um, and when, you know, I, I went to business school and I went to Facebook, actually a huge part of my job at Facebook was to travel to different markets to really do user research and understand the cultural and, um, you know, the, the different people of each market that we were working with. Yeah. And so that, really got the travel bug in me. I was, you know, in Seoul, I went to Taipei, I was in Rio, like I was really all over the place. And ever since then, it's just become, you know, really big part of my life. It just brings so much joy. And it's a great way, again, talking about like neural pathways, right? It breaks you out of your current routine. Yes. A new perspective. It's a reboot for your brain in a way that, you know, we as humans can't really do if you're in the literal same environment all the time. It's really hard to do that. Um, and so it's kind of like a hack to reboot your brain. It's like literally get out of wherever. Right. It. It's a very tangible physical hack, right? Like just leave. There, there you go. Yeah. The literal, literal new scenic route that you're taking. If you were to go back in time to your younger self, um, when maybe your parents immigrated over when you were trying to learn, trying to uh, mm-hmm. achieve what you would like, what would you like to tell them or advice to mm-hmm. share? Yeah, I think, you know, it's really that 
to not be afraid and to really love yourself, right? I know that's kind of been the mantra I've been kind of hammering on this entire conversation, but there were so many years, you know, especially, you know, it's really hard for kids who don't feel like they fit in, right? Who are immigrants to figure out how to speak up, to figure out what to say, to figure out what their voice is and to feel a sense of belonging. Um, and so if I were to give that version of myself, you know, any advice it would really be to just embrace and love exactly who I was and not be afraid to show it, right? And yeah. I think for many years I was like so quiet because I was scared and I wouldn't speak up in class and people just thought I was really shy, right? And it took me like, you know, decades to really <laughs> find my voice. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I just wish that little girl had the opportunity to speak up when she was young and free and had all these like fun ideas as a kid, instead of like, you know, being afraid and, and kind of hiding away from that. And if you were to help them take a first step, a small mm -hmm. step into towards that direction, what would that be? Oh, that's a great, great question. I feel like that's, this is very much like putting my own coaching hat on for my myself to my younger self, right? Yeah, <laughs> like a bit of it, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, just whenever you feel that sense of fear and you want to hold back, just actually push forward and like mm. say what's on your mind. And, you know, there were so many times when I had something on the tip of my tongue and I was about to share an idea or say something and then fear would hold me back. And, you know, I would say the next time you feel that feeling in your body, just let the words spill out, right? And just practice doing that over and over again till it becomes so normal to be speaking up. Yeah, yeah, that's literally what I think I have done to become extroverted, like quote unquote, yeah. uh, <laughs> right? And, and I think that the reason I ask is people often hear advice and they, some people are just like, yeah, that's it, take it and do it, right? But mm -hmm. other folks who we are trying to get to is they hear it, but they couldn't connect it to where they see they are today. And that's yes. why I think the daily small step is actually a lot more powerful than the big mantra because through that yes. you can really take action and through action you can create your own mantra maybe even more power empowering than what we have today right so yeah. oh, I love that plus one times a thousand like that's so true and I think that's uh part of why I tell my clients like just get one percent better every day like just little baby steps because that builds up that muscle right and that confidence to eventually get to where you want to go. You have to just practice in the most easy bite-sized way as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And I, and I knew, I knew this is like so much resonance already, but I, people like, I, I, many readers would love to reach out, learn more about your work, uh, contact you. What will be the best way uh, to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can go on my website, victoria-young.com. It's also um, in the bio. Yeah. Yeah, they can uh, book a book a call with me. So I, you know, I'm happy to connect via a call. You can just email me too, hello at victoria-young.com or find me on Twitter um, at victoriahyoung.com. And DM, um, DM open? Yeah. Victoria H. Young, yeah. <laughs> okay, so victoria-young or stereo.com, yeah. Okay, victoria-young.com, got it. Exactly. Yeah, for the website. And then, of course, on Twitter, I couldn't get that exact handle. So it's Victoria H. Young on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not special enough to claim the, the username. Get the blue check and replace that out. But but yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. <laughs> Let's, well, we'll put all the link in the bio so folks can see. Um, also, we'll send out a newsletter that links this. This is 
so wonderful and we're so honored to have you here this is such a good conversation yeah i was so honored when you reached out i'm so grateful to just connect with a like mind and vibrant spirit like yourself and you know all the work you're doing is just absolutely mind-blowing and incredible and i just love everything you stand for and and what you're pushing forward with and i love you know, being supportive or helping in whatever way possible. So I'm, I'm so excited for you. Thank you so much for having me. And it's my pleasure. Thank you, Victoria. <laughs> and I, you have to know the appreciation and immersion is, is, is both ways. So uh, I am a big fan. I saw a lot of your early work and it's looking oh. very, very good. So I can't wait to see what, what else you're going to do next. Thank you. Well, cool. thanks.